Hello, and welcome to the Paracel podcast. My name is Sarah Glass. I'm a senior director in genomic medicine and the global head of rare diseases at Paracel. I'm delighted to be joined today by Rachel Daly, Dr. Shipra Patel, and Anique de Bruin, who will introduce themselves momentarily. They represent a range of perspectives on pediatric clinical trials. Today, we'll be talking about insights we've gleaned from a survey on 500 patients and parents on designing more patient-friendly clinical trials to help accelerate the development of newer, safer, and more effective medicines for children. Let's first talk about why it's so important to include children in clinical trials. Each year, hundreds of millions of prescriptions are dispensed to children for the treatment of a wide range of conditions, but the overwhelming majority of these medications have not been evaluated in children. Why does this matter? Well, children have very different metabolic and physiologic responses to medications than adults. It is critical that we encourage more parents and children to consider participation in clinical trials that offer relevant treatment paths so that we fully understand the benefits, risks, and side effects of drugs in children. One of the most important ways that we can do this is by bringing parents and their children into discussions early to understand the perception of clinical research and what they need in order to feel comfortable about participating in clinical trials. Recently, we partnered with CISGRIP to sponsor their survey of 500 parents and children to learn more about their perspectives. So let me welcome Shipra, Anik, and Rachel. Can you please introduce yourselves before we begin our discussion? Thank you, Sarah. Um, my name is Rachel Daly. I'm mum of two and I live just across the river from Liverpool in the northwest of England. I'm director of a non-profit organisation that provides mental health and wellbeing services to parents of children with additional needs. And I'm also a proud parent and patient advocate and member of the Parexcel Patient Advisory Board. Hi, everyone. My name is Anique De Bruin. I'm the Senior Director of Research Services at Syscript. Um, Syscript is an independent nonprofit organization. We've been around since um, uh, 2003. Our core mission is to raise awareness and educate patients and the public on clinical research. So we're very excited to be here. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sarah. I am Shipra Patel. I am a pediatric endocrinologist. I am affiliated with the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And also I work as a senior medical director at Paracel and I'm the global head of pediatrics. I am based in Chapel Hill in North Carolina, and I'm looking very much forward to this discussion. Great. Thank you so much for being here today. Rachel, I'll start with you. Can you please share with us a little bit about your role as a pediatric patient advocate and tell us why it's important for you to expand public awareness about clinical research? So my involvement with paediatric patient advocacy started when my son Jack relapsed with a rare cancer called Langerhans cell histiocytosis. Uh, this was just before his seventh birthday in 2018. Um, he started a second course of um, chemotherapy treatment, which was much more aggressive than the first course of treatment that he'd had on his original diagnosis. And in the years since that first diagnosis, I spent many hours researching treatment protocols, studies, trying to find out what he was eligible for. Um, and while he wasn't enrolled on a study, he followed um, the study pathway for an international study called LCH4. So he's currently enjoying a period of good health. Um, he had scans just a couple of weeks ago, which showed he had no evidence of disease, which was which was really good. Um, and he, but he'll re remain as a, an outpatient 
under oncology, endocrinology. Uh, he has a diagnosis of diabetes insipidus as well, uh, and some audio vestibular issues as a, as a result of the treatment that he had. Um, and I think for me, it, it's important to raise awareness about clinical research in the public as we're all at some point going to be in a situation where we'll be able to benefit from the research or in some way positively contribute to that and creating better health outcomes um, for people, um, which, which is what for me clinical research does. Thank you so much, Rachel. We really appreciate your sharing that and, and truly happy to hear that Jack is in a period of good health. Anique, as an organization that's dedicated to educating the patients, providers, media, and the public at large about clinical research, can you, can you tell us a little bit about why you conducted the survey and the outcome that you're seeking by sharing this information with the public? I'd be happy to. Since 2013, Syscript has been conducting and monitoring trends in the in, um clinical research perceptions and study volunteer experiences um, among adult uh, patients and members of the public. Um, this study has been very helpful in assessing levels of clinical research awareness and knowledge over time and really pinpointing patient for preferences, um, especially when they make decisions about participation. Um, you know, what information is most important to them? You know, what information do they need? Who do they turn to for advice? And what information sources do they trust the most? Um, we also gather data on what mat matters to them most during participation. Um, so such as transportation to and from the clinic, um, support with childcare, for example, compensation or expense reimbursements. Um, the, the time period after participation um, is also critically important. Um, you know, how do you maintain that patient engagement? What's important to them, such as receiving a study um, summary of the results, as well as receiving their individual test results. So the outcomes from these studies have been really helpful in informing industry stakeholders um, and helped shape um, and their current and future patient engagement strategies. So the need to collect similar information among parents and their children for pediatric clinical trials is widely acknowledged. And as Sarah mentioned earlier, we need to involve um, parents and their children early in the conversation so we can really gain a better understanding of how to best raise awareness and minimize study volunteer burden for both the children as well as the parents um, and or legal guardians that might be involved. Thanks, Anique. That's really wonderful. It's incredibly important work that you do. Shipra, you have the dual perspective of being a healthcare provider as well as a clinical researcher at Parkcell. How do Rachel's and Anique's perspectives fit with your experiences across these two roles? I'm really very lucky to have the opportunity to be both a practicing pediatric endocrinologist and also to be a clinical researcher. It's really been wonderful to wear both of these hats and to see things from both of these perspectives. Uh, as a pediatric endocrinologist, I know, Rachel, everything that you've gone through with your son, Jack, for diabetes insipidus, I've seen many patients with this condition, and I know how how hard it is for you to go to all your appointments, to remember these appointments, to remember the medications that you have to give, uh, to also remember if, you know, checking sodium levels, making sure that the doses don't need to be adjusted. So there are so many things that you have to do for diabetes insipidus. And then on top of that, he has Langer Langerhans cell histiocytosis, which makes it even more complicated. So I really uh, feel for everything that you're going through with him and all of the journey that you've had to go through. Uh, I know that many parents like you have had to do extensive research, online research about your child's condition. 
and they often join advocacy groups and other online forums to find out more about their children's condition, as well as try to seek other treatments for their conditions. And so I think, uh, Anik and Rachel, it's really important to make sure that we really understand what motivates parents to enroll their children in clinical trials and how we could also make the journey easier for patients and their families. Thank you, Shipper. That's a really excellent point. This connectivity is absolutely critical. Rachel, turning back to you, the survey revealed a number of really interesting findings. Among them, one of the main motivations for joining a clinical trial was altruism. We saw that 63% of children surveyed said that they wanted to help scientists and doctors learn more about their disease. And 42% of parents listed their top motivation is helping others with the same disease and condition. It's really incredible to hear that result. How can we as an industry build on that motivation to encourage more participation? So again, from from my personal perspective, when Jack was diagnosed um, with LCH, the GP hadn't even hadn't even heard of of the disease, so that's kind of sent me on a, a frantic search search for information online. I wanted to connect with other people who had experience of the disease. I wanted to to find out as much about it as possible, and I spent hours looking for the positive stories and the families who'd been through it, um, asking questions. And, and that the availability for that information was mostly on private sort of online forums, um, as Shipper mentioned just earlier. And as well as connecting with people from all around the world, there was lots of medical papers um, to read and lots of research that had been done. But to be honest, as a as a lay person with, with no medical background, that was quite difficult to digest. And I found that I could put the, the words from the, the medical papers together when I could hear the human story as well. Um, and I think as an industry, you can use that parent-patient voice um, to back up the work that you do um, and, and really amplify the um, the patient and the parent's experience of going through clinical trials and use that, whether it's through case studies or um, sound bites or whatever. I, th- I think that that's where, where there's real power. Um, I think the general public are, are dubious and, and nervous ab- about the science because they don't understand it and they hear about the, the horror stories and things in the press. But there's so many positive um, stories to be shared. And I think that that is where the opportunity is really to share those positive stories. Um, and everyone likes to hear a, a good news story, you know. Um, so I think that the survey showed that um, both children and their parents wanted to improve the outcomes for other people. So give them that platform to to do that. Give them the opportunity to do that as an industry. That's great advice, Rachel. And I appreciate the direct, concise nature of your recommendations. It is our obligation to provide that knowledge so that we can all collectively have hope for our kids as they go through these really tough journeys. Shipra, Based on your experience with clinical drug trials, what do you think are the main reasons why parents enroll their children in clinical trials? Well, I think similar to what Rachel experienced, uh, parents are reaching out to advocacy groups. They're actively searching for additional treatments for their children. They may actually go to a research center themselves and say, uh, you know, to see if they could participate in a clinical study that they think would be beneficial for their child. So I think there's a lot of outreach going on and they're actively seeking these treatments. And these parents are willing to go through all of the inconveniences of a clinical trial 
for the sake of their child. Uh, they're willing to travel long distances. We've been in clinical trials where parents are willing to travel all over the country to seek potential treatments because they really want to get the benefit of that clinical drug. And, and there are many diseases where there are all of these unmet medical needs and there are no curative treatments. So all of these things are really critical for patients and families to try to access those therapies. So I, I think that's one big reason. Another reason could be altruism. Um, I, I do recall when I was working as a pediatric endocrine fellow, we were trying to recruit patients for a diabetes trial. And, and what had happened was all they had to do was submit a blood sample and the blood sample was actually going to go into a mouse that was already predisposed to getting diabetes. And we were interested in seeing whether this blood would actually go into the pancreas of the mouse and cause the mouse to develop diabetes. So when we talked about this to a 14-year-old boy, he thought that it was so cool to have blood, his own blood, go into a mouse. And he was all excited. He told all his friends about it. So, and, and he also wanted to just simply benefit the scientific community. He wanted to find out why kids develop diabetes. So I think altruism is very important. And it's, it's really encouraging to see the results of the survey and to see that altruism was a big part of it and that a lot of people are really linked in to their communities and they want to help other people in addition to themselves. Rachel, the survey showed that the primary barriers to participation included fear of the unknown, the social impact of participating for children, and also logistical issues of having to travel to clinics for visits, which is very much aligned with what we just heard from Shipra. In fact, the survey showed that 52% of children indicated that it was very important to have some or all of their study visits in their home. Have you or your son, Jack, perceived these issues as barriers? And do you have any thoughts on how we could overcome them? Sure. So actually, fear of the unknown was was probably a, a key driver for us in, in decision-making for Jack's treatment. Um, but rather than it being a reason for us not to participate, we use that as a motivator to engage in whatever the medical team sort of suggested and, and any ideas that, that they had. Um, and that probably drove my, my own kind of research. And, you know, I was sort of finding out about trials that were happening and, and discussing those and bringing those to the table with the uh, the consultant when we had appointments. Um, and we've all we've always tried to ensure, I think, that that Jack has felt informed and in charge of what's going on. I mean, he was he was diagnosed at three and a half and when he relapsed, he was sort of seven. So that was that was a very big um, change in terms of his development and his, and his ability to understand what was happening to him and, and about the disease. Um, he had a lot more questions. Um, so we always encouraged him to write everything down. He'd take his journal into the consultant's meeting, um, much to her amusement sometimes. You know, he'd get his, I'd get my notepad out, he'd get his notepad out as well. Um, and we'd always do simple things like put him in the seat nearest to the consultant and be quiet until he'd had his chance to speak nine times out of ten he'd get his mobile phone out of his pocket and start scrolling and kind of lose interest in in the conversation after he'd sort of said his his pleasantries and said hello um and I think I think that builds trust and instills confidence in children and it's really important to empower them to make those decisions and know that they're in control and I think that that links in with with trial involvement and and research too 
Um, Jack sits on the young person's advisory group as well, the hospital that he's treated at. Um, when I first got involved in the parent sort of patient advocacy work, Jack came along with me and he absolutely loves it. You know, the opportunities that that has given to him um, in terms of his own development and, and participation in research from that perspective has been brilliant too. Um, so in terms of the um, his, his appointments and things, it, it since the, the pandemic began, a lot of his appointments have gone online. And for him, that has been a real positive point. Although he's never really complained about the going to the hospital and stuff, I've noticed um, a change in his behaviour. He seems a lot more relaxed when he's got the appointments and on the run up to the appointments because he's in his own kind of safe space in his own surroundings. You know, we set up his laptop in his bedroom. Um, the consultant had come through on a, on a video call. And those virtual appointments, I just think, are, are much easier for, for for children like him to to kind of digest. Um, I don't think that they should completely replace the, those face to face appointments altogether, but a mixture of the of the two, I think, would be a really positive outcome from um, from the pandemic, particularly for for us and our family. That's really incredible, Rachel. Thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate hearing about your experience around being purposeful in your parenting. Jack's resilience and ability to feel in control is really a testament to your success there. Shipra, are the survey findings consistent with the main recruitment barriers that you've noted across your clinical trial experience? In addition, do you have any suggestions on how these barriers could be overcome in the future? Uh, yes, when I reviewed the survey results, I do think that those are the main recruitment barriers that I've come across in clinical trials that I've worked in for children. And I think a lot of it is fear of the unknown because parents might often experience that they're not fully in control of the situation. They may not feel like they have all the relevant information. They may not understand fully what procedures they have to go through. And they may be worried that their child could be receiving a, what's known as a placebo, a sugar, something like a sugar pill rather than the actual drug. They may feel that their child is being experimented on without actually knowing what's going to happen. So I, I did see that they just didn't want to take a chance and have their child participate in a clinical trial. But I think a lot of this could be overcome by more education for families, you know, knowing what actually the clinical trial is about. Uh, we do use informed consent videos, and that helps a lot with, with helping families understand the purpose of the study, what procedures they have to go through, and it helps them better understand how their schedule, their daily schedules would be affected by clinical trial participation. So all of these things help parents to more fully understand, and as well as in children also, to fully understand what they have to go through for a clinical trial so they're less anxious about it. Uh, we can also come up with strategies for kids who are needle phobic. Uh, we could also, you know, alleviate any concerns that they have about potential risks. I think it's really important for physicians to discuss the risks and potential benefits of a trial. So they're also fully informed and can make an educated decision. And finally, Rachel, I think I, re I really like the strategies that you've come up with for your own son, because I think it's really important for him and other children to be really involved in the decision-making process, for the physician to actually take the time to sit with your child, discuss everything with him, make sure that he's actively involved as well, because this is something that's going to happen to him, and it also impacts the whole family. So I think this is this is really important, and, and I'm glad that you've taken these strategies with him to make him feel more comfortable in the clinical trial setting. 
Thank you, Shipra. And to build on that thought, the parents that were surveyed cited that their pediatrician's recommendation was the most important factor when deciding whether they would enroll their child in a clinical trial or not. That's a really big responsibility for healthcare providers, especially if they aren't familiar with specific clinical trials or know how to discuss them with the patients. Or Rachel, like you mentioned earlier, your GP actually hadn't heard of your son's particular diagnosis. So it would be really difficult to be able to extend that and actually make a recommendation about a clinical trial. So how do we as an industry help expand that knowledge about clinical trials and aid providers in discussing clinical research with their patients? Yeah, I, I agree that parents have a lot of trust, they have a lot of faith in their pediatrician's opinion, and they rely heavily on them for guidance regarding clinical trials. And this is a big responsibility for healthcare providers. And so we as clinical researchers, it is our responsibility to educate them more fully so that they understand everything about clinical trials and can then explain everything well to parents and children. So also pediatricians can find out about clinical trials through various sources. They often can see them through online forums. They could find out about these clinical trials through advocacy groups. A lot of times we advertise clinical trials on these websites. So there are lots of ways that they can find out more information as well about clinical trials. And then in addition, it is our responsibility to educate them further. Thank you, Shipra. Anique, the survey showed that both children and parents wanted to stay informed even after the trial had ended, but that's really not new. We've heard that consistently for a very long time. How does the industry at large do a better job of letting people know the results of studies that they participated in? What kind of suggestions do you have with regards to that topic? Absolutely. I think that's a, that's a great um, question. As, as um, many are aware, in Europe, uh, sponsors are required to deliver plain language summaries back to study volunteers. And there's other guidance that um, advocating the same. Um, our past perceptions and insights study, many um, have consistently shown that um, adult, uh, adult study volunteers um, are find receiving a study summary as well as their individual test results extremely important. Um, and we saw the same in this pediatric study. Um, among the adult study uh, that we conduct, um, about half did not receive um, a study summary after their participation ended. So a lot of um, participants are left hanging after their last study visit. Um, conversely, in the smaller pediatric study that we conducted, about three quarters of the parents indicated that they did receive the study summary. So that's definitely a step in the right direction. Um, and sending the summary really enables the um, the parents and the children to really um, get a better understanding of their contribution. And just like Rachel said, she's involving her son in, in all aspects of participation. Um, and it really conveys appreciation for their contributions at the same time. So we realize it takes you know many years until study results are known. So what do we do in the meantime? Well, um, sponsors can, um, through the sites, uh, send, you know, communications, stay in touch, you know, let them know updates, you know, and, and progress on the study. And, um, you know, technology can certainly help support this communication, you know, having a patient portal um, and, you know, posting results through that portal potentially um, could be a, another way to do this. 
I think all these strategies are are really excellent. Uh, I think from my own experience, it may not be happening as often as it should. But I think this is something that we need to focus on a lot more in the future to make sure that parents do know more about the results and they can stay in close touch. And, and I think that helps them stay in the trial too, knowing that they'll eventually find out what the results are going to be. So all of these strategies, I think, are really helpful for clinical trials moving forward. Agreed. Also, coming back to your point about about the excitement of your patients when they are involved in clinical trials, you know, that's especially true with children. It's And it's really important that we focus on the little things. For example, could we provide a trophy at the end of a clinical trial to, you know, really have them be celebrated and acknowledge their, their contribution? You know, they're really, they're going to take it to school. They're going to show it to your friends and feel very proud. You know, this is one additional approach to really ensure that they feel as, as important as they really and truly are for contributing to treatments, not only for themselves, but to others with their same diagnosis. So this next question is for all three of you. Let's start with you, Shipra, on the pandemic. The pandemic has dramatically changed how clinical trials are conducted, with trials being brought into the patient's home through multiple different mechanisms, telehealth calls, home nurse visits, wearable devices, among other virtual approaches. Do you see this trend continuing now that the patients have experienced a more patient-friendly approach to clinical research? Do you think it will boost participation in clinical research? Uh, yes, I know that we had even considered doing these types of decentralized trials before the pandemic. But once the pandemic occurred, our thought process around these trials grew really rapidly over the last several months. And now every time we're looking at clinical trial designs, we're considering incorporating this approach with almost every single one because we understand how beneficial this is for reducing study burden for patients and families, not only during the pandemic, but also in general. So so these are approaches that I think have become a lot more popular uh, during the pandemic, but I hope that these will continue as time goes on because it's it really would help make clinical trials more accessible for patients and families, and it would help them to participate in these clinical trials, um, even when they're doing everything that else that they have to do for their child's care and balancing other commitments. So I think it makes the whole process easier for families. Um, I can say one thing, though, that this is not an approach that we can use for every single trial. There are some trials where, because we're really monitoring safety very closely, the patients would need to go to the site for study visits. So we have to look carefully at each study design to see where this is possible and how we could incorporate this approach for at least some visits of a clinical trial. We call this a hybrid design. And other trial and other trials could be totally virtual. So we have to really look at this carefully across trials. But I hope that this trend and I anticipate that this trend will continue over the long term. It is really something that we have focused on very carefully. Rachel, you've commented on this a little bit earlier in your experience with Jack having some of the visits in his own home or room. How do you view this trend towards decentralized or hybrid clinical trials and the impact on participation for families and children? You know, moving forward, would you be more inclined to participate if you had fewer on-site visits? I really hope this this trend continues and I think it will have a huge positive impact on engagement in trial for trials for families. Um, in my professional life, I, I spend a lot of time working with families who have children with medical needs um, and they could absolutely benefit from being involved in trials. Um, 
but they find engaging in day-to-day ordinary family activities that, that some of us take for granted a challenge. Um, they've got to consider the child's needs, they've got to consider childcare for siblings, their own work responsibilities, costs, travel, etc. And I think each of these is a barrier to engagement in normal life, if you like, um, let alone clinical trials. So making it easier for families like those um, with these sort of decentralised trials will really help engagement in my view and, and from my sort of professional experience as well as personal experience. And yeah, absolutely, um, you know, fewer site visits. Um, I just, I, I think more than anything, it, it can reduce anxiety levels and things and whatever can be done virtually should be done virtually. Um, and like Shipra mentioned, the kind of, um, I think Shipra called it hybrid, I would call Call that like a blended approach. I think that is a, a lovely way to move move things forward for for clinical trials and for the industry. Anik, how does Cisgrip view the trend towards these decentralized, or as Rachel said, blended trials? Yeah, and I, I agree completely with what um, Shipra and Rachel mentioned. Um, you know, certainly the pandemic has accelerated the adoption of telemedicine and decentralized clinical trials, and certainly uh, these types of trials can make participation much more accessible particularly for pediatric trials. Um, you know, and as, as an adult, we're already juggling a lot of responsibilities, but, you know, as a family, it's even more, um, more difficult to fit this into, uh, your life, you know, given other children and siblings and school and work, et cetera. Um, but certainly, you know, this is a wonderful option and ways and way to make participation easier. Um, it may not be the answer for everyone, you know, um, it, Sometimes people really like that in-person, high-touch type interaction. Um, and certainly in past work that we've done, we, we hear it all the time. You know, the relationships that they build with the study coordinators or the study doctors are so impactful and really help shape their experience. So, um, you know, offering options is really important to accommodate different lifestyles and commitments and needs. Yeah, I totally agree with that. The, the flexibility is, is really key, uh, and that also helps clinical trial participation overall for many different people. Agreed. And just to emphasize that point regarding the one size fits all concept, it's really and truly not the case. Every experience has to be customized, even within a clinical trial for a small number of individuals in a particular indication. You know, it may be that half of them have to have some, you know, experiences in their home and the other half might prefer to have them in the clinic. And, you know, it's our obligation to explore whether there are possibilities whereby the design of a clinical trial could allow for that flexibility to really and truly customize every single experience for each, each child and their family. So one last question for each of you. Rachel, we'll start with you. If you could convey one key message to parents who are considering enrolling their child in a clinical trial that has the potential to treat their disease, what would your message be? For me, um, I think it's about getting your questions answered, writing them all down, getting your children to to do the same if they've got the capacity to do that, um, asking to talk to other families perhaps who've participated in in trials in the past and and hearing their experiences. Um, And I think lastly, just be confident in the amount of work and love and care that the industry as a whole 
goes into it. I think unless you've participated in clinical research or patient advocacy, you don't fully appreciate um, all what goes on in the background. You know, it's it's easy to kind of imagine these big corporate organisations, but actually the, at a human level and, you know, even just participating like this and, and doing this podcast and hearing the, a parent and patient voice, it's, it's so important. And and it just shows that the industry does care and, and want to get it right for um for better outcomes for, for children. And Shipra, what is your take home message about increasing pediatric enrollment in clinical trials? I think I can summarize this by a few words. Uh, I would say the first word is education and the second word is family and patient support. So I think the first thing is to educate pediatricians and specialists that these families rely on for guidance and encouragement regarding clinical trials, uh, these pediatricians are often the first source of information for clinical trials for families. So it's important to make sure that they are, number one, aware of the clinical trials in their community and that they could effectively convey this information to patients that they're seeing in clinic. And then the next step is also for these pediatricians to educate patients and families regarding to have that risk-benefit discussion with families, discussing all of the study procedures so that they know exactly what they're getting into when they enroll in a clinical trial. And it's important for the pediatricians to take the time to sit down with the patients and the families to involve the children also in the decision-making process as Jack was involved in this case, and also to make both the parents and the children feel more confident and less anxious about study participation. And then finally, about support. It's important to support the patients and families throughout the clinical trial journey and then use approaches like technology, virtual approaches, and other patient-friendly approaches whenever possible. Thank you, Shipra. Anik, when looking at the survey results and outcomes, can you tell us what do you feel are the most important messages that we should take away from today's discussion? Right. And just to build on, you know, education is key. This is what we do at Syscript all the time. And not only, you know, does it help raise awareness and participation rates, but it also helps shape perceptions and clear up any misconceptions that are out there as well. Um, and as Shipra mentioned, the pediatrician, really critical. Um, this is a, a channel that, you know, is so important to acknowledge and make sure that uh, we provide pediatricians with the information that they need to make sure to, that they ultimately communicate that back to the parents and the, and the children. And we also learned from the survey that children want to learn from other children. So any ways that we can um, allow other children to share their stories if they've participated in a clinical trial, I think that's incredibly helpful. Thank you, Anique. The survey showed that 58% of children suggested that the kind of connection and engagement with other kids is really important. So as an industry, what me mechanisms or what thoughts do each of you have on how we could actually encourage that connectivity between the participants in these clinical trials? Shipra, let's start with you. Well, I think I'd like to hear from Rachel and Anik regarding this question. I, I think in particular, it's important to hear how if patients are part of advisory boards and other ways that they can engage. Um, also, there may be ways that they could also engage as part of an online community through social media. I, I think that's something that we could think about more. Uh, we know that kids like to use lots of apps, smartphone apps in particular, and if there is some way to use apps more frequently in these trials, uh, we, we do, you know, have patient recruitment groups that are thinking more about this. But I think if there are solutions that we could come up with to make this 
a more regular occurrence for clinical trials. I think that's something that would be important considering that this was an important finding for our survey. Rachel, same question for you. You suggested that Jack had some engagement with other children in clinical trials. Can you share your your experience and recommendations? Sure. So um, Jack is a member of a young person's advisory group um, at the hospital where he's he's, he's been treated or he, he was treated. Um, but we only actually found out of, about that when I was um, actively looking for um, ways to get involved with clinical trials myself. So it, it wasn't particularly well advertised. Um, and when we, um, when we went along to the meeting, most of the children there were actually children of um, clinicians and medics um, who had an interest, possibly because their parents um, had an interest as well. Jack, um, as far as I'm aware, was the only child um, who was on active treatment and who had a diagnosis. Um, so you can imagine he's quite popular when when clinicians come in because they, they, they're really kind of, it's probably rare for them to see a child in that kind of context. But I think that encouraging, using using the voice of um, children like Jack um, to encourage other children to participate, um, whether they've um, whether they've, you know, got a, a medical diagnosis or not is really important. Um, and I think, I think the, the best way to do that is ask them, you know, how, how do we, how do we do that? You know, as adults, we can, we can think that we, we know what makes them tick, but I think the, the, the best answers will always come from the children themselves. Um, so yeah, you know, going to those forums, um, I know in Europe anyway, the, um, generation R sort of advisory groups, they've got them all across Europe. So engagement with those those groups would be a good starting point, I think. Thank you, Rachel. Anik, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, no, I, I agree with all of those points. You know, p- getting involved in um, with patient advocacy groups and, and patient advisory boards uh, to provide input um, and share their experiences. Um, also going into schools potentially. Um, you know, they could have like a little guest speaker, um, just to educate, um, kids about, you know, and introduce them to clinical research. Um, that could be another way of, of getting them involved. Um, you know, and it's, it's not much different than adults. We hear the same thing from adults. You know, they want to hear from others who've participated in clinical trials. You know, what was that experience like? Um, so again, you know, or even, you know, during a pediatrician appointment, if there was someone, you know, a, a child representative there, an older child, obviously, but, um, that could help, you know, help navigate the process with, you know, the child and as well as their parents, obviously. Um, I think that would be incredibly helpful and just help somebody envision what participation might look like. That's a really great point. Thank you, Anique. And what's incredibly apparent from today's discussion is that the connectivity between each of us who are all focused on the well-being of these children, whether it's caregivers, advocates, clinical trialists, drug developers, the treating physicians, it's of that of utmost importance. We really have to lean on each other, provide the information, give each other the tools needed to be successful so that we can truly support our children as they go through this journey. Rachel, Shipra, Anik, it's been delightful to speak with you today and to learn about your perspectives and experiences. Your insights have been incredibly informative. And thank you for everything that you do to enhance the public awareness about pediatric trials and the work that you do to improve the patient experience so that more people will participate in helping the industry develop new drugs to treat pediatric diseases. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. 
to our listeners, you can access the report titled 2020 Pediatric Perceptions and Insights Study on our website at parxl.com under this podcast. Please follow ParXL on social media to learn more insights from our experts and subscribe to our podcast on Google Play, iTunes, or Spotify. Other recent topics we have discussed have been the use of wearables in clinical trials and precision medicine and biotech. We welcome your reviews and comments about what you would love to hear in future episodes. Until next time, thank you for listening.